they will know that and the parents will know that there's a network there for them to tap into. There are more Asians involved in football than you would expect. There are nowhere near as many Asians involved in football as there should be. Join us on the Our Game 2 podcast as we celebrate the ones that are and discuss the ones that aren't. Okay, this week we are joined, this is um, Z and Kevil and myself, we're joined by Riz Remen, who has, well, again, he's another one with several different football hats, which we'll come on to. Riz, how are you doing? You okay? Yeah, good, thank you, mate. Thanks for having me and uh, looking forward to joining you. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for being on. I understand you're taking a little boy for a walk at the moment. Is he likely to wake up? <laughs> no, 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 mate. He'll knock out for three hours. Lucky. It's all good. <laughs> Lucky for you. Well, thanks for spending these your quiet three hours with us. So, Riz, um, so actually, let's just dive it straight into the first thing, which is you're part of the PFA and you guys have just launched the AIMS Initiative. Do you want to tell us first of all, just tell us what that initiative is, and then we'll come, we'll go a little work a bit backwards as to how you got to the PFA and stuff like that. Yeah, so the initiative is around um, so identifying young players with Asian heritage in, in the system and connecting them to to players who have come through the game, had a career in the game. It's a multi level, multi level program, so it's not just connected with the senior players, but also those who are twelve plus in the academy with, with a contract. Um, and linking them up with the scholars, and then um, you know you got scholars talking to academy players, scholars talking to senior pros, and the other way around as well. Um, it's, it's supporting players learning, playing, um, also coaching. So it's not just current players, but also those who have come out of the game, uh, reconnecting with them, and again getting them back involved in football because ultimately we want to see football better, Asian players sort of better represented on the pitch, but also off the pitch as well. Okay, I know it's very early days, but has there, what have you had any successes so far? Have people reached out to you and reconnected as you were looking for? Well, the program itself has been going for about two, three years now. To be honest, a lot of it was going on, um, obviously behind the scenes where we were doing the work, connecting with the players. You know, we've got young lads now who are fourteen, fifteen at clubs who we first connected with when they were eleven, twelve. So. We know, we know it works. If it didn't work, I definitely would not have been coming out with it and making it more of a football programme um, within the within the PFA's work. And every week, you know, I'm getting messages from parents, players, just saying how some of our calls have helped their children's and daughters' confidence, which is what exactly what we want. In terms of other outreach, you had clubs contact parents, agents. Um, everyone's been very supportive, to be honest, so... It takes time to obviously make it bigger and, and stronger. Okay, cool. And what do you think, what issues and barriers and problems are you trying to resolve with the AIMS initiative? Uh, no, we, I wouldn't say any barriers or issues. I think what it is, like any young player, once you're in the, in the academy system, at any one time you've got over 10,000 players and less than 1% make it. And what we've seen is, um, there's a massive dropout rate of all players of the under-16s. And when a player becomes a scholar, you know, one in, well, probably two in five would drop out at the scholarship age. So 
we're trying to target those players and engage with those, obviously, from the Asian backgrounds who are very far and few at the moment. But if we can support one or two more to get a contract, to get a scholarship, to get a professional contract, then that's the aim. And it's not actually just Asian players, to be honest. We've got other players in the system and our programme who we're supporting as well. OK, and when you say on the programme, so how does how do young players, how do youngsters get onto the programme? Well, first of all, they've got to be part of an academy club. So they've got to be part of a club on uh, the 92 League Club or Cat 1, Cat 2 or Cat 3. They've got to be 12, um, 12 plus. So again, um, you know, if it's on a contract, their parents or the club will normally reach out to us and make us, us aware of a player who's in the system, or if the parents contact the PFA or myself on social media, my first point will be the, the clubs themselves to make them aware because ultimately the clubs need to buy into, the clubs need to see the value of the programme and you know their, their players ultimately speaking to myself and me connecting them with other players in the game. Okay, cool. And I mean, from the other side of it, from the clubs and stuff like that, have they welcomed this? Has, been, has there been positive feedback from them? I mean, yeah, honestly, I mean, I've been buzzing about it, to be honest. All the clubs are very supportive. They, they, you know, they want to help players from all backgrounds, but they also recognise that, you know, Asian players are not represented as they, as they should be. And, you know, I was speaking to a lot of academy managers and, you know, directors of football who, who are welcoming me into the training ground, speaking to the players. You know, just being that sort of familiar face around the club. And that's what we need because ultimately we don't, if we're looking at Asians within football, we don't just, we don't have that. There's not enough working. Um, well, there's quite a few working behind the scenes, you know, not the numbers there should be, but someone like myself who would be in and out of different clubs across London, in fact, across the country. And we probably need to see more of that as well. Okay, Cool. Right, might, might come back to it. Let's just take it back a little. I know we've just jumped straight in. So, Riz Remmer, we need to know who you are. So, do you want to start right from the beginning? How did you get involved in football in the first place? Well, my first probably memory of football was the probably 1990 World Cup. And saying that, me and my brother Zesh, we, we would literally just play in the garden all the time, just, just playing football. My, but my dad loved watching football. And we really got into it first, I'll probably say in 1994, when the World Cup was being held in, um, I think it was America, the USA, yeah, where we really got into it. And we just, like I said, we just playing every day together in the garden. So my dad sort of um, took us to some trials, so the Saturday league trials. We, I was, at the time, nine, I think Zesh was eight. We both went for trials. Um, Zesh got in. Where <laughs> I never got in. did you guys grow up? In Birmingham? Birmingham. Yeah, so that's where we pretty much played, like Washington Heath. So um, that's our early, spent our early days there, just kicking the ball on the streets. Everywhere and everywhere was a goal to run. It's in the house, back garden. A few windows got smashed during the years, but that's something my mum and dad just got used to. Cool. Okay. And um, so you two, I know we, we know Zesh has made it and he's played professionally as well do you, do you how did how did your career go um i was at fulham at the same time as zesh i was there from 12 to 14 unfortunately i fortunately i got released um which was a bit, bit of a setback for me but then i started playing sunday league football played for my friend's team just joined uh, enjoying it again then i got picked up by brentford um 
six weeks into Grash playing well back Sunday League football. Went for a trial, did well, got signed up. And I was there from 14 to, to 20. So I was a first year pro there. I broke my leg in the second year scholarship, but came back from that. Um, got a professional contract, which is a good achievement for myself. But then didn't really progress and kick on from there. Okay. And um, so if you guys were from Birmingham, what happened once you guys got signed by Fulham? Did the family have to move? Were you travelling? No, I'm going to be honest with you. What we did was when we were eight, nine, ten, we and Zesh, we wrote to every single club in the country asking for a trial. And I still got those letters. And I remember I got a response from Crystal Palace saying, look, we don't do such things as trials, but send us your fixture list and we'll come and watch you. And we were thinking, oh, we're in Birmingham now. Um, and the person who actually wrote me the letter, Jeff Taylor, he later on became my youth team manager at Brentford. He was the one who literally signed me as a scholar at Brentford and married me for uh, two years as well. So the reason why we moved to London was because my dad recognised that we love football and there'd be more opportunities for us in London than in Birmingham because there were just more clubs, there's more teams, more grassroots teams to the case of getting it, getting here um, and getting ourselves into some inside the league and centre league football. And that's exactly what happened. There were six of us, my mum, dad, six kids. Um, yeah, that's the extent we went to to become footballers. Wow, okay. So, okay, yeah, that's a big step. So, um, so that's quite interesting because we've interviewed several people from Midlands and, I mean, look, Z and Kev, I don't know what you think, but for me, I've always thought the, the, the Midlands seems to have, I guess, a bit of a closer-knit community with the Asians and and more involvement in football, whereas in London, it seems a little bit more spread out, a little bit more sporadic. So, but you're saying your dad, what, what's your background, your kind of um, heritage? Pakistani, Pakistani Muslims. Okay, and so... Why Why did your dad think there'd be more opportunities in London? Was it because, I mean, was he quite community focused himself? And was there, was there or was there not Asian football teams around there? Or what, what was the decision making behind moving? Because that's quite a big step. I know you guys obviously had the talent and you got signed up, which shows that he made the right decision. Um, but it's still a big step, a bit of a gamble to take. Yeah, we only we only ever played in mixed teams. We didn't ever play for Asian only teams. You know, my dad himself, he was a big cricketer back in the day. He loved cricket. You know, he tried for Warwickshire, but his dad didn't let him play because they didn't see it as a career. And plus, you know, he, my granddad had um, supermarkets and my dad was asked to work in the shop. So when my dad said when he had kids, he was going to make sure that he would sort of support us. And in terms of the move to London, our cousin actually lived in London at the time. And he always said to my dad, look, get to London, there's a lot more teams, a lot more clubs, a lot more grassroots clubs, better setups, And the best players are from London. Honestly, that was one of the reasons why we just packed up and we went. And, and it was hard, to be honest, because when we came to London, and I was born in the heart of Birmingham, I had a proper thick Brummy accent, and suddenly I'm coming, I'm coming from a community which is quite diverse, a lot of Asians, and it's mixed, where you come to Leafy, Surrey, and you go to Cheam High, the school, and you and Zesh, me and my brother, are only Asians in the school get called a packy every day, chased home. But luckily, because we were good at football, we were made school captains and just really progressed from there. I think if you're good at sports, you're good at something, I think people show you that sort of respect as well. So yeah, it's a way of fitting in, right? 
yeah, and the color and the religion and the, everything else became secondary. Like all my mates were white, all my best friends were white, so they don't really look at us being any different. Yeah, wow, okay. So I think, I mean, what was something that, again, that we've mentioned on the show before is networks and how important they are in football. And to your saying, your dad didn't have a football network in the Midlands, but through his, was it his cousin, you're saying, he, he made the move, made the jump into London. So, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Um, that Yeah, so that makes a lot more sense. All right, so so Brentford, it didn't work out for you there. What what did you do next, football-wise? Uh, after Brentford, actually, I was sitting at home. Um, I, did, I decided to go to college, do a degree in sports science, but I got a phone call from Neville Self, who at the time he was managing Mosley, and I went down there. He said he had seen me play for Brentford against um, Charlton Athletic. I feel a good game that day, to be fair. I remember Mark and Koncheski in the reserve game. We did pretty well. And then he said, look, just come down. It's not too far from me. I went down there, had a good chat with him, and I started playing. Four weeks into it, I was playing right back. Went up for a challenge. And a big striker just clattered my nose. My nose was broken. Mum's like, look, what are you doing? Just forget football now. I just concentrate on university. I carried on playing. Um, came back. Brought my nose again, and that was it. I was like, that's enough for me now. I've had enough of injuries, going to hospitals. So I literally moved on to university, did a degree in sports science, did my coaching badges, got my B license, and I started working for Fulham in the community, um, spending a lot of time on grassroots, just helping kids. You know I mean, trying to get more kids playing football. And then, yeah, working on my coaching journey as well. Okay. And so, where has that coaching journey taken you? So what I started doing was, because obviously Zesh at the time was at Fulham, I did go into the academy there with John Murcher, actually. John's just taken over to the Sporting Red Trap, Man United, so I mean, we know John really well. Um, but it just wasn't for me. I didn't see myself just working with one group of players. I literally enjoyed, because um, Zesh was a step of foundation, and I really enjoyed just reaching out to community groups, you know, seeing more people at the grassroots playing football. Although I didn't, you know, really go on that academy journey like most coaches will. I, I sort of um, enjoy the networking and meeting new people and setting up projects. And you know, I knew that I wanted to work behind the scenes in some capacity and doing what I'm doing now. It's always been my dream sort of role, and it's sort of paid off. Cool. Okay. And what are you doing now? So we we mentioned hats and stuffs, and so yeah. you're doing the same the Ames project with the PFA, and you're also working for Surrey FA. Was, is that right? Now, I, I chaired a Surrey FA's inclusion advisory group. So basically, we're a group of, um, you know, there's about eight, nine of us who have different roles within just football, education, sport equalities, and we help Surrey FA to um, improve their work around inclusion, equality and diversity around, around, around Surrey. So I sort of chair the whole group. Now, one of the targets is to, see their staff they're more diverse because you know I think it's fair to say that everyone working at Surrey FA is, is white so we do need more diversity one of my aims is hopefully the next person they employ in terms of culture education or football development will be someone from a black or Asian or ethnic minority community uh, also I do my brother's foundation so I'm a trustee of that again working with clubs to help them to better engage with different communities um, whether it's soccer schools or coach education so I'm doing that as well and with the PFA 
My role is player inclusion exec. So like I said, it's working with those underrepresented groups and supporting their, their academy journey and football journey. Cool. Okay. And um, so when when did Zesh start his foundation? Was that whilst he was still at Fulham? Now, Zesh started that foundation whilst he moved so, well, he moved to Bradford City. So that was in that was in 2010. But prior prior to that, we was already setting up little community programs, community projects. So before we did anything, we was always piloting it first, just to see what it would sort of look like. Because um, we had a, we was always had a big interest in trying to see more players from underrepresented groups playing football. And even at university, my whole dissertation was done on Zesh. Um, and I critiqued all the journals from Dan Birdsey, you know, his past papers and what had been done you know, from the 1996 report to the current papers today. I always kept my eye on it um, to see what we felt needed to be done. Okay. Um, I mean, you two are success stories in that regard. In Well, Zesh has made it and played at the professional in a degree, but you still made it through the system and you were signed by a club, etc. Um why so how comes you think you made it and what I guess why do you think other people struggle or seem to struggle so much? You no, know, it's just like like I said at the start, I think a lot of players would drop out at certain certain age. Now for me and Sesh, you know, my dad, to be fair to my dad, from the age of nine, ten, he'll be out. He would actually he went out and bought a camcorder. He'll record all our matches. He'll sit there with us. He did his own coaching qualifications when we were very young. I think he, he must have been on the first Asian parents, I believe, to do a coaching qualification. He went out, he bought a book, which we still have to this date. And he'll set up sessions for us. He'll finish work, pick us up, take us to the park, um, and just coach us. And it was, it was constant. It was every day. There was no shortcuts from what we were eating to what time we were sleeping. Having what we would do the night before, waking up in the morning. There was no such thing as social media. Um, you know, we had to really study the game ourselves. There was no, you know, we we weren't off that mindset. You got a seat to be it. I don't really believe in that. If I'm honest, I think you know we just although there weren't many Asian footballers, but again, we didn't even look at it like that. Our, my hero was like Shira, Gaza, Rio. We looked up to players like that. Um, there were no Asian players at the time. I think a lot of it, dedication, parental support, you need that. You know, you need good people around you as well. So we did come, you know, when I was at Brentford and obviously Zesh at Fulham, we had good people around us who sort of knew about the game and who were speaking to me every day, just asking questions. So that's where I believe that sort of mentoring and network, young players need that, need to see the value in that. Riz, I have a question. Um, we, obviously, we've, we know each other for quite a long time and, uh, I remember when uh, the Zestrimon Foundation was set up back in 2010 in Bradford. Um, one thing we spoke about before is about, obviously you mentioned parental support and have a good team around you. And uh, you mentioned uh, the story about both yourself and your brother having to go training at different times, right? Yeah. Um, tell us a bit about that in terms of what exactly the family had to do um, in terms of making sure that you're attending training and able to progress when you were younger. Yeah, so obviously we've always lived around Kingston. And at one point we were both training. Zesh was training at Chelsea. And then when I was at, sorry, Fulham, so not Chelsea, Fulham. 
And now I was at Brentford. So Brentford were trained at Cranford. So Fulham were trained um, down at Mossbury Park. So my mum and dad would have to take me to Cranford, a long drive, whereas my nan would have to sit with Zesh and go by train just to go and watch him play and just sit there and watch him. She was, at the time, she must have been at least in the 70s, you know, late 70s. So it was, um, it was a family commitment to ensure that we were supported and we never missed any training or sessions. I remember once once or twice running, being late for training. It's traffic. I would literally get out the car and I'll run the last mile past cars just to get to training and trying to get there first. That's how much we wanted to just 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 be there. You know, so it was just it was just little things like that where I think I'm not saying the young players don't do that, but I think you need that that sort of need it has to be greater than the want. But at the moment everyone sort of wants to be a footballer. I don't probably see enough need. I think we just needed it. Like we just needed it because not just financial reasons, because it's all we knew, sort of knew at the time. But saying that, education was a massive part of my dad's philosophy as well. If we didn't do our homework or didn't learn our math time tables or um, whatever it was, he would not let us play. And I remember going to bed just crying because I didn't do my homework. I knew my dad wouldn't let us play. So it was a massive parent sort of push for us to be footballers. Was that, was there, did you notice any kind of, I mean, you were young at the time, pressure because your family had moved, they'd upheaved to to go to London from Birmingham. Um, did, so I know your parents kept on the focus, you've just said about education, etc. But did you feel any kind of pressure to to even give even more dedication towards football and try and make it to to pay back the kind of sacrifices that they made? You know what, it's funny. I didn't even think about being a professional footballer. I didn't know how serious it was until I was probably about 14, 15, when I thought, wow, people have to make a career out of this. You know, they didn't really know what it was all about. Well, I didn't know that. We just wanted to be on TV or scoring a goal and hearing the crowd roar. So I remember, like, going around the local park with Zesh and we'll see all these big trees. We just say, imagine that. Like you see them big tree. Imagine they were crowds. Imagine, imagine that St. James's Park. So we would literally just recreate that whole story in our head of what it would be like. Obviously, let's play that St. James's Park. But for us, honestly, I don't think there's no extra pressure on us. My dad didn't really say, look, you have to be professional footballers or there's nothing because we also had an education. Um, and it was, and we knew no matter what happened, that they would be, my parents would be supportive anyway. So football just was just fun, and I feel I do feel sorry for kids these days, especially young Asian players, because anyone who's at a club knows they seem like pressure on them right away, and they probably put pressure on themselves in terms of the social media stuff. And I mean, we never had any of that. We just literally just playing the game and enjoying it. So on that, in terms of the pressure, which I, get, I mean, it's, it's going to affect all people. Do you, are the clubs. Do you think they're doing enough to kind of manage that and, and to help help the players through that? Yeah, I think now, I think one of my, again, I'm, I'm very mindful of the work I do that we need to stop exposing the players too much and the players need to be managed better themselves, not just themselves, but for their parents and their agents need to understand that you should, let's not expose anyone until they play some games or, you know, played 20, 30 games had some sort of got a professional contract um, and that's just not Asian players that's all players I think you know once you've got some senior career games under your belt 
then maybe talk about it. If not, just be quiet and just keep your eye on you know, the touch of football. Yeah, okay. Um, sorry, Z, you took your mic off there. Do you have a question? I'm just going to follow up on that, uh, Riz. Um, obviously, you're speaking with players um, at all ages now, right? Obviously, the pros, but also the younger players in the academy. We're just in a very, very social media orientated world now, which is different from when we were growing up, right? So um, you're talking about, I think, um, I was talking about pressure and the pressure previously would come from media or community, but now the social media pressure is there and it's instant and there's more exposure now. So even if you wanted to put your head down and concentrate on your game, someone is going to be talking about you. There's all these accounts for wonder kids and, mm. and rising ballers and things like that, that, will ultimately put a spotlight on the young players. Um, what advice do you give to young players now to navigate that kind of social media world? Uh, again, I think use it for, I know for a fact clubs don't like it. You know, you've got young players who are being followed by agents. I've had clubs say to me, we're talking about certain players, and I said, well, Riz, he's being followed, you've got agents following him. So this kind of thing, I'm relaying back to these young players that for all your account, they should put their community accounts on private, only people who they know, friends and families follow, not just random people and agents following them. Um, but again, you know, everyone's got their own processes. Not, I can say as much as I want, but it's, it's entirely up to them to take it on board and the parents to really take it on board. Because a lot of the young players, their accounts are actually run by their parents. So I'm not really, I might have to tell them what to do. All we can really do is give some advice and whether they take it or not, it's really up to them. But I don't really think you need to. The only people you got to impress are your coaches and your managers. You don't need to impress anyone else. They're not important whatsoever. And that's what I need to tell them. So, I mean, Kevin, I don't know if you want to jump in on this. Just, an, I guess, as an interesting tangent, I'm thinking, look, identity for anyone and everyone is a massive thing. And if you're putting yourself out on social media, whether it's advised or not, that you're a footballer, you're a young footballer. And then I guess if you don't make it, it's you, you've already told the world that's what you are. And now you've got to step away or do something else. Um, so Kev, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. Well, I think it's a, a very interesting topic that you bring up and it's something that the LFE are targeting young footballers with quite a lot at the moment with with workshops and various education platforms. Um, we, we see it all the time and I actually spoke to a few a few pros that I've, I've met down the years and that's something that they've really contended with after transitioning away from the game. And if we're talking about safeguarding young Asian players as well in the game, they're going to face exactly the same identity crises and challenges that that any other race of players are going to face and that the identity crisis after transitioning away from the elite game is definitely something that young players contend with. And like you rightly said, social media is a big driver of that because it's a form of, in most cases, positive reinforcement that being a footballer and being in these elite environments is a good thing. When actually what we should be teaching young players is football when you do it as a career, it is literally just a job. You can have a passion for it. You can love what you do, but inevitably your career is going to come to an end at some stage, be it at a very young age or be it at a very um, later age towards the age of 40. And it can happen for a number of reasons, injuries, managerial problems, relationship problems. It could be anything. And then you've got to think about the other things that young footballers have to contend with, like the possibility of gambling addiction, identity crisis, mental health, 
Suicide's also a big killer of young young footballers as well. So, yeah, I think what Riz is saying, relaying that message from clubs to young players that they are more than just a footballer is really, really important because you're setting them up for, you know, a good career and a good foundation for later life once they transition away from the game. Cool, Riz, did you, was it easy for you to to walk away initially and start studying? Because um, I guess in terms of, like we've just talked about pressures, one, you've got the fact that the, your family had moved in the first instance, and I guess Zesh is still doing well in in the academies that he was in at the time. How easy or how difficult a decision was it to to decide to walk away from the game? As you can imagine, it wasn't easy whatsoever because when I got released from Brentford, um, at the same time, Zesh was just signed a three-year contract with Fulham and he went on, went on loan to Brighton, did really well. And I found myself at Kingston University on the seventh floor with students who are probably three, two or three years younger than me because I was at 21 now going to university. These guys were 17, 18. I was thinking, what am I doing now? That was my first thing thinking, I should not be here. I should be on a pitch playing football. Um, so, yeah, maybe I'll probably run through some sort of... When you look back at it now, I'll probably say, like, not a depression, but probably some mental health issues because I, I I wasn't in, in a good place. But going out and seeing Zesh play, and then I remember travelling all the way to Newcastle when he played against Newcastle. And we, when we came back after that game, when we sort of travelled back on the Fulham bus, me and my dad did actually, and we were chatting to Zesh and we were just saying, like, I remember talking about this pain against Shearer and things like that, and it's made me happy. And we would literally just train every day. All that I was studying, such as playing full-time and training full-time, we would do sessions every day. You'll come home, have a nap, and we'll go in the park for a couple hours just doing clearances, headers. So that sort of kept me, not going, but you know, kept me sort of, sort of part of it. I was, I was going to support his journey, and that was, uh, that was enough for me. Okay, interesting. Riz, quickly, sorry, how, how did you deal with that then? You, you mentioned about going and transitioning away from the game and finding yourself in that dark place in those university classrooms. What was your process of dealing with those thoughts that you were having at the time? Was it an acceptance thing or was it very much systematically moving yourself away by having those sessions and eventually then transitioning away completely? Yeah, it, it was to be fair. I think it was, when I think, like I said, when I think back now, it was it was difficult and there must be a lot of players now going probably through that or going to go through that in the next three to four months when they're getting released and going to university and for me I think because Zesh was playing and I was still sort of part of I mean, doing sessions with him I think it helped me and I started playing for the Kingston University team and then I'd, I didn't tell anyone about Zesh being my brother I never talked about it I didn't mention it because I just wanted to be like just part of it and not them thinking oh here we go he's, he's just thinking when Zesh actually bought a car and he gave me he gave me a brand new car. And I swear down, every time I go to training, I would park it about half a mile away from the King's University playing field in Tola and walk it in because I didn't want anyone to see me in it. It's just little things um, like that, which sort of, you know, when I started playing and just studying, I had different goals and I set my own goals, like getting my B licence and, you know, trying to work back in football by doing a sports science degree. But obviously, I didn't go down that route eventually, but I went down a different route. But yeah, I think, I think you need that somewhat away from football and different passions and interests and hobbies to get you through it. Cool. 
Um, going back to the work you've done in terms of setting up the foundations, etc., what's driven that? Did you, I mean, did you face many issues as a player? I know you, you've mentioned about school, but how about when you first started playing football, when you first started joining academies and through the systems? Did you see many Asians? Was What sort of experiences did you have in that regard? Uh, I think, like I said, we didn't ever see ourselves as any different. You know, we just saw ourselves as young players, obviously British-born, Pakistanis. I don't ever think we used the word Asian. It was I, I never made a fuss of it. I think other people would probably make a fuss of it, which they, they did. But at Brentford, there was three of us in the youth team at one point, and myself and Nevin Soraya. And there's there another kid as well, if I got he's a year older than me. And obviously, Nev, Nev was a couple of years older than me in the youth team. And I was going, when I was under 15, going to train with the youth team, never be there, like never be one of the main people with, uh, you know, running that sort of youth team and the players there. So, again, we didn't really talk about it either. Ever, I don't think myself and Nev ever said, oh, look, we're only two Asians, you know, playing for Brentford or playing against other teams. It didn't really seem to be a topic. The only time I really got into it properly was when Zesh was coming through and I realised that he was doing talks for kick it out, show us the red cart, being dragged pillar to post. So at my university, when I did my dissertation, my lecturer, Jim Lalva, he was a coach at Wimbledon, and he said to me, how about looking at this? He had a massive interest in Zesh, and he said to me, do a case study on Asian professional footballers, because no one's done it before. No one's spoke to a professional Asian footballer and looked, got an insight into his, his journey. So I sort of did that. And that's when I probably did start taking more of an interest in it. And my dissertation helped with the launch of the foundation because everything we were going to do was on the back of what our own journey on what we knew. This is Zeshi's foundation. Zeshi's foundation, yeah. 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 Well, it tells us it should be called Zeshi and Riz Foundation. He said, oh, he said no. All right, fair enough. So, so it was, okay, yeah. So, no, I get that. So, you were just playing football. You're, you're doing your thing. It is more so as other people who pointed out to you what's going on, etc. Does that mean, as Asians or as an Asian, you didn't face any kind of, or you didn't notice any kind of discrimination at all, not from either coaches or even opposition players or anything? No, obviously, like, again, when I, when I think back, I've not really thought back too much before, only when you're saying now. The only time I got really called was, I remember playing for my school district, the final, and like, the guys calling me a packy, going to put me off my game. But I think, like, honestly, I think I just laughed it off and just carried on because I knew that they were only trying to do to put me off. And my dad always said to us, you do experience it if they're trying to put you off your game. You're better than most of these kids. So, throughout my time at Brentford, honestly, nothing, not for many players, uh, not many opposition players because you're, you're there because you're good enough and that's it the focus should just be on that the focus should not be on Asian I mean, the, the focus should be on a player who happens to be Asian but we've got to sort of move away from that narrative that they're Asian players so yeah I didn't really we didn't talk about it to be honest and it was never the the focus was it ever that 
Riz, just on that, mate, do you think there's a danger now, particularly um, with us ethnic minorities in football clubs, do you think there's a danger of us coaching young players to believe in that victim mentality that we are oppressed in the game? Because yes, if you're looking at the numbers on paper, there aren't enough of us in the game, which suggests there might be some um, unconscious bias there. But do you think it's dangerous for us to be coaching young children saying you have to do more, otherwise you're going to be overlooked? My 100%, the first thing we say to any parent, any kid on a call is, if you're going to have that victim mentality, oh, because I'm Asian, I'm not playing, then I don't want to talk to you. You need to move away from that. If you're not playing, it's because you're not good enough. Simple as that. How good are you? If you're playing, then you should be playing. If you're that good, you have other clubs coming in for you. We don't want any excuses. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, even since we launched the... Asian inclusion and mentoring scheme. You know, I'm even having second thoughts about the uh, the whole name of it. I want to take Asian inclusion out of it completely because I don't think we should be defined by that. Defined that shouldn't be the final narrative about us as players. We're just players, and we're just trying to help a group of players who are underrepresented. But the focus shouldn't be on Asian. So, you know, I'm trying to make a conscious effort now in my work to not focus on the word Asian. You know, because I just, it can sort of hold those negative connotations, I think, anyway, at times. And they're just players. So that makes sense. Yeah. So if you, if you were considering that, so how comes it has made it through in the name? Well, it's, it's, it's come through in the May. It's just some of the stuff um, I just believe from conversations and, you know, obviously, I'm reflection of, the work that I'm doing, the messaging, I'll finally get out there. We never, and the one, the lads who have come through the system, they never focus on being Asian. And I think as um, Kevin has said as well, sometimes you can have that sort of victimized mentality, you know, so I just think there's going to have to be a different way of us collectively sort of approaching this whole area and how we can support these young players to have professional career or to get academy contract or a scholarship wherever it is cool okay see Kevo any other questions at the moment no no crack on mate crack on this is really good so far I'm enjoying this as I say if you're nodding your head don't forget the cameras are off I can't see you (laughs) (laughs) right cool okay so tell us a little bit about the foundation so so you you mentioned did you not mention more than one foundation you got the ZR foundation the Foundation. just one foundation. Right, okay. And so what sort of activities do you get up to there? What are the aims of that particular foundation? Well, the aim of the foundation is to um, just see people from underrepresented groups working in football and supporting their sort of journey. And again, you know, me and Zesh and the trustees and the staff have a lot of conversation about this. Do we say... People will see us and they would know that obviously we're trying to focus on a particular community, but the outward message doesn't have to be we want to see more Asians better represented across football. You know, the work we do can be very targeted in specific communities without having to shout and rave about it because I think it can get sort of people's backs up as well if you're saying you're just one community because then. You sort of, it's part of sort of maybe it's causing segregation 
um, saying that they, they need different support. So it's one of them, one of the pieces of work where, you know, even now we've sort of revamped it, but we're looking at our sort of terminology, the words we're going to be using on the new website. It's up right now, but again, things on that will sort of change. But I think, like I said, I think the whole area around seeing more Asians working in football, playing, coaching, has to be a bit more tactful because there's not many players whatsoever. So the voices aren't strong enough. The voices don't go far enough because the numbers are just not there. Whereas the black players, you know, they're in all four leagues, internationals, worldwide. They've got the voice, so I think we just got to do it a bit, a bit differently. You mentioned about the language, Riz. Why do you feel that you've had to change the language to be, I suppose, not more accommodating, but more carefully worded to promote the right message? Do you think that the the message over, say, the last year, given everything that's been happening with, with social justice and Asian inclusion and Black Lives Matter as well, do you think that that language has changed as a consequence of these world events that have been going on? Yeah, well, if you look at the term, just B-A-M-E, a lot of governing bodies are moving away from that now because the communities ain't happy. It's easy just to, it's like, if you're in that BME, if you're non-white, then you're going to come under this BME sort of category and people don't want that. And I also think that if you're just saying, you know, Pacific Black inclusion or Pacific Asian inclusion, I, I don't see why we have to label people under certain brackets or under certain sort of projects. You know, so that's where, for me, the language and what we communicate out is going to be very important. Uh, like I said, we're only just having these conversations now internally about how we can sort of approach this and what's my message when I go out to club and I'm speaking to academy managers. What is the message? How do I get that message across? I think that's going to be very important as well. When you say internally, sorry, you're talking about at the PFA? Oh, yeah, the PFA and the foundation. Yeah, yes how we sort of approach it. Because I know I've, I've seen more of on Sky Sports, they're, they're saying you're South Asian and some people are saying Asian. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure about it. I'm just not sure whether um, we, we go with you know, South Asian footballers. You know, no one ever says Black footballers or um, Thai footballers or Southeast Asian footballers. Why, why are we saying South Asian footballers? I'm just hoping that I'm up to the, uh, the floor here. I'm saying, you know, what are your guys' thoughts on it? Should, I mean, we, I... be labeled, should we be labeling these Asian players as South Asian footballers or just footballers? Um, Personally, I think it should just be footballers. Yeah, no, I, I see that. I mean, I think, look, the reason behind it is, I mean, just speaking in general terms, at South Asian, so those from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, um, Sri Lanka as well, I guess, they make up, a, at the last census, it was approximately 7 to 8% of the population. And there is an underrepresentation there. And we know there's many reasons for that. And I, I don't think there's, I don't think it's possible to pinpoint anything and say it's exactly this or specifically that, etc. We We just know there's an underrepresentation many factors towards it. So I think that's why the conversations are happening because there is that statistical anomaly. 
look, in terms of names and what we call groups, etc., it's difficult. I, I don't I have an answer. The conversations are brilliant, but the, my thing is, who's listening to the conversation? Yeah. Who are we yeah. talking to? Who's the message going out to? You know, are we talking to the right people? Who, who are decision makers? Are they around us? Are they sat around the table together? Or are we just saying that we feel this needs to be done and we keep having the conversations, but the voice where it needs to be held, heard is not, is not being heard. And I think that's what we're having there. Um, there's too many articles go out and documentaries go out which are just saying the same thing. I'm not sure if you guys saw that to the Sky Sports one last week with Chris Powell on it. You know, which is great that they highlight the role models in the game, which is nice to see and the, the aim program that I mentioned. But I think I can show you another one from 10 years ago. Exactly the same. Who's, you know, who's, 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 who's taking it on board? I'm, just, I'm well, trying to get out. He's, okay, he's so one of the things that we've discussed between ourselves, me, Z and Kevril, and I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I don't think we've ever come to a satisfactory conclusion or have an answer to is we we don't know exactly what the problems are and we're not even sure exactly who to go to to say fix it because until we know what the problems are it's quite difficult and all we can do i guess is in the meantime support initiatives like the aims one etc um and others and help them get a little bit of publicity or raise awareness etc but it's interesting when you say are the right people listening who do you think are the right people i mean we're not even sure what the right questions are hey it's like i said i can look back at my sort of own journey from my conversations with some of these young players you know, a lot of the conversations have been behind closed doors with the parents the young players it's just you know, how do they want to be perceived? How do they want people to see them? There was one young player who, I, what I noticed was on his Instagram handle, we had South Asian aspiring footballer. And I was like, take that at your name, South Asian aspiring footballer. You're an aspiring footballer, but why are you saying South Asian? You're just a footballer. Um, you know, it's just, it's, just, it's just little things, I think. You know, we, we obviously, I'm quite fortunate in the position I'm at the PFA where, you know, we're in conversation with the Premier League, the FA, EFL, um, about the whole area. And like I said, I think we need more people to sit around those tables. Education for me is right at the grassroots, the pathways into the game, the pathways into the academy system, how to navigate those systems, what to do, you know, when you're at a club, how to approach and manage your coach, wherever it is. They're the kind of little nuggets that we're trying to give to these young players. Honestly, we've done a number of calls and not once have we ever spoke about um, them being Asian or no question has come up about, oh, I'm, an, I'm an Asian player. So it's just trying to help a few players that we know are underrepresented um, and just sort of connecting them. But Z, you've been around it a long time yourself. You sort of know how many issues and you've spoken to a lot of players and clubs and media people. Do you, know, do you know what it is? I think um, from my, I'm going to speak from my perspective because I use the term South Asian and I'll explain why. So for the longest time, there used to be, uh, when the report first came out in 1996 that Asians can't play football, now that term was used ironically, right? The phrase Asian can't play football because yeah. it's meant to say actually it's not the case. But what happens is lowest common denominator says that's the fact. 
So what would have been used in irony yeah. got lost and that became fact. Oh, Asians can't play football because suddenly that became the phrase in the 90s, right? Um, you saw skits in Goodness Gracious Me even saying, oh, this is why Asians don't play football or can't play football. So we were, uh, for want of a better word, we we're getting taken a piss out of us and taking the piss out of that term as well about our own communities, right? And then the then there became the whole movement about Asians in football were kicking out on the back of it, and there was loads of these conferences happening in the early two thousands, and everyone trying to find the answer. Then it became the phrase that everything got grouped under that phrase, right? Asians, Asians in football. But the problem I find with that phrase is, well, Asia is a massive continent, right? Um, and then what yeah. used to be the argument back was, well, you've got the players from. China and Japan and Korea playing in the Premier League. So where's the problem with Asians playing in, in the Premier League sector, right? So you then have to almost narrow down the communities that you're trying to focus on. Now, from my perspective, I focus on players from the region that I know very well. If I cover Asian football, I'll be covering yeah. players from, from the Far East, from, from the Middle East, from, from Iraq, Iran, Saudi, parts of Turkey, you know what I'm saying? Like Asia becomes massive. So you really have to know what the definition is when you're talking about South Asians, right? But that's from a media perspective. You need to have a a terminology which can uh for, for the it's a lowest common denominator terminology. So when you're talking to the guy in the street, he's gonna know South Asians means Pakistani, Indian, Bangladeshi, Sri Lankan. That's how we qualify it. You can go into the nuances of saying, well, actually, there's caste, there's religion, there's culture, and all these kind of thing, and reason for migration. They're not going to know that. Now, when, when from what I understand, what Reed is saying is there's not a common goal between these different organisations of football, football, football authorities, right? So, correct, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my perspective, per, perception is that where you've got the Football Association, the PFA, Premier League, EFL, they're not talking about it in a collective manner. They're all looking, they're doing their own things, right? Therefore, there's a, what do you call it? There's a disconnect in terms of the aims and also who you're talking about. So the FA might talk about Asian football, but under their remit, they need to cover the the whole of Asia. And then they'll be talking about all the countries as part of the Asian Football Confederation, right? So that becomes its own challenge. It's not the same as what, say if you're doing it on South Asians, because all of a sudden South Asians is it's it's a small region. Asia is a big continent and now you've got a disconnect between what their aims are. So the FA saying Asian football cannot exclude other other communities within Asia, right? So now we've got these that's that's my perception when you say that people who who the right conversation are not happening because it's not together togetherness there. And then the media, who are basically the purveyors of communication, back out. Are they able to communicate in a uniform manner outwards as well? Do you, do you get what I'm trying to say? So Sky Sports have their section called British South Asians, right? Which is great, but BBC might not use that terminology. And then another organisation may not use that terminology. And even your South Asian press, like your your media, your TV channels, may not use that terminology. All of a sudden. There's too many terminologies just banding about. There's not a uniform approach. I think if you have a uniform approach, it would be better. Now, from a pure player's perspective, I always agree with what Risa said. There's footballers first, 100%, right? That's your career path. That's your vocation. That's your job, right? The footballer. No one is a, an Asian manager or an Asian controller or an Asian train driver, right? That's not the job description. You get me? So the job description of the footballer is a footballer. 
where the nuance is and where they have their kind of um, where, where we need to have better understanding is how they're affected by life outside of football. So we talk about culture, we talk about Yuan or you, you observe Ramadan, how does that play a part? And then it's been a, a wider understanding. Um, when it comes to, I guess, the work that you're doing, Riz, is you're trying to ensure that these players, first and foremost, do think as footballers, but I guess for the clubs, this this uh, active um, push towards being more culturally aware, right? Because we saw the article with Leith Gulls uh, a few weeks ago, what Brighton have tried to do in terms of understanding uh, what he's not specifically for Leith, but players who are more of Muslim background, what they might require. They need space to pray. Um, that that it's it's a fine line, isn't it? Because you want to say these players are footballers, but they also have their own wants and needs, and that comes from other cultural, religion, or other other reasons, right? So, Apu's right. There's no single answer yet, but we're we're moving in directions, aren't we? So we've moved away from talking about Asian football now, talking about specific South Asians, and then the next move is going to be the individual identities, isn't it? It's going to be whether it's a religious or cultural, excuse me, thing that you need to be aware of. Um, having said all that, there is. There's no uniformity between the organisation. There's no uniformity between the purveyors of communication. And therefore, there's confusion for, for everyone right now. The, I was just going to say on that, mate, you know, when we're talking about splitting up our, our heritage by caste and race, what, what's the goal then, right? Because if we're talking about organisations hmm. such as the FA, the EFL, the, the Barclays Premier League, for example, in terms of inclusion policies, what is the goal then yeah. for those organisations? Is it simply to have more representation of different backgrounds or is it a case of having equal representation based on participation of each race and religion at grassroots level in relation to the professional game? Because... The, the problem that I have with this argument and the problem that I have with the inclusion argument in general is that I don't think any of these organizations have a collective goal that they're all aiming towards. I think it's a general mm. goal where we're just saying, let's see more brown, black and Asian faces in football. And I think that's the wrong way to go about it. To the nuances of, I don't think we'll achieve any type of goal. Do you get, do you get on presentation, which again, which is brown, yeah? So we'll just say South Asian. If you can tackle that as a whole, then you can, then it's, 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 a, it's, an, it's a process, isn't it? Um, then you got to start looking within the individual requirements. But I don't, if, if I'm being honest, I don't know. I think my ultimate thing would be, from my perspective, is you want to see more players from, from just say, if, as Apu said, if we've got 7 8% of, of Britain is made up of, South Asians who identify as South Asians, you want to see more players coming through, but um, it's a tricky one because how 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 what does that look like and how do how do you approach that? You can't you can't force the numbers to change. You can't force the numbers to change. But I like what Riz said about underrepresented groups, and then when you when say what the ZRF is doing working certain communities where this um where those marginalized communities are then you're helping them aren't you um but do these yeah you're right you're right i don't think there is a overall common goal and i don't think there is a um there's not a specific answer i could give you to be honest it's a hard one really 
um, because we've we've battled through, say, zero representation of of, of brown faces on the pitch to some representation on the pitch, and now you want to increase the number of brown players on the pitch. But there's always going to be another issue that comes along, isn't it? Like with the with the black community, it was players on the pitch being racially abused. That's still happens time to time. Not to say it's not there, but there's a there's a better understanding that you know that's not going to be something that's going to be tolerated. But now the other issue is getting more managers in the game or more coaches in the game. So each time, each generation, or each each moment, there's going to be a different issue to resolve. Mm. So Riz, we, we've established then that we don't truly understand why these things happen. And I know that you guys are doing some, some great, I, I'm, I'm being completely blunt, we don't truly understand why, we, we don't. Yeah. So based on your experiences in the, as an ex-pro and someone who's been through the system at the highest level, what do you think are the solutions? Because we talk a lot about why these things happen, even though we don't understand why they happen. What are the solutions? Because that's where I think this is where minorities in the game want to go because we've been talking about these things for so long, but we don't actually have any solid solutions yet. So where do you think the, the, the solutions lie and how do you think we can go about um, putting them into place? Well, that's the one we can't tell the AIMS programme. I think what the PFA have done in terms of me sort of leading on that area to see more um, you know, Asian players come through because right now the numbers are sort of very low. Uh, apart from the PFA, I don't think the FA, Premier League or EFA have anyone full-time really looking at it. No, so no county FA has any sort of South Asian person working for them whose job is right. Let's go out there and let's help more Asian players come through. So firstly, we need more full-time officers working in the game, specifically around targeting specific communities. So for us, and from one of my roles, that is, is, I'm not an Asian officer. Like it's more player inclusion, but with a big focus on um, obviously supporting and mentoring and you know giving a helping hand to younger players in the system. Because what I'm seeing again is the players who do come in, especially younger ones, and when I speak to their parents, they welcome it. For them, it's nice to connect with someone who sort of understands them. You know, it could be via the same religion, same country, whatever it is. We've got the, the vast difference in differences in terms of the makeup of the group that I'm sort of working with. And ultimately, I just think you need more kids playing football at the grassroots. And when they now come into the system at an academy, they will know that and the parents will know that there's a network there for them to tap into if they need some additional support or whatever conversation with someone you know about what whatever it is in terms of the pathway or like Zaheem said around some of the nuances around Muslim footballers our clubs catering for them during my prayers factoring that in just little things where I'm, I'm able to have the conversation with, with the clubs as well so it's going to be two-way communication you know, I had a conversation with a Premier League club the other day who and I was talking about the initiative and you know, one of the top six clubs actually who fully supported. They even said, Riz, any young player from a South Asian background who comes in the system, we will make them aware of this programme because we feel that it's needed. It's not been there before. Um, and if more people at the grassroots know about that, hopefully they may have a little bit more motivation to, to come through because there's too much. Everything I see, a lot of the reports, a lot of the features, it's always... Don't even make the TV or newspapers if it's negative. If there's someone talking about racism, 
I want to move away from that. I want to move away. I want to move the players away from talking about racism. If you actually talk on Sky Sports, you know, I felt I had a good chat with Dinesh. I felt for Dinesh the other day, you know, twice I've seen him on Sky Sports news and twice he's been asked to talk about racism. Why? Why are we even as, um, you know, reporters putting a young player through that? 20. Why not ask him questions about how he came through? So we need to protect the players. And I think the media have got a massive role to play here. You know, you can't always just be about chasing stories. If you really care about the players' welfare and well-being, then think about some of the questions you're asking him and who that's going to be reaching out to. So, yeah, it has to be collective, governing bodies, media, not only media run the show. You know, we can only get our messaging out through the media. So what's that message look like? And for me, I want to try to keep it a positive one. I'm not going to be talking about barriers, the barriers I face. I don't want players talking about barriers. I want players talking about how they did it, what they did. What were you doing differently? What were your parents doing? You know, we've got to keep the conversation positive. Otherwise, 20, 30 years time, I don't want to be having these conversations. I want to... Can I, can I just add to that, Riz? Uh, um, you're talking about the media. Um, I find them, obviously, mainstream to be quite fly by night. Like they might cover it as an issue once in a while and then tap back into it. I mean, you could just do a Google search and you could see what's being written. Um, how much responsibility is it? Or not responsibility, but a better word of using. How much uh, do the authorities, the football authorities, just say like yourself in the role in PFA and just say, if you have the other football authorities on board as well, to educate individuals within the media on what's, what's going on, what's happening and what um, not so much leading them or setting the agenda for them, but actually provided with more education on Asian players. So when they ask the questions to players, like you mentioned, Dinesh, it's a bit more than just because he's a, a brown face to ask him about race, that you want to make it a more of a multi-dimensional um, conversation with those players. So, hey, we both know people at Sky Sports who do not put these programmes together. These are people who have been around this area for a long time. And for me personally, they should know a lot better. You know, you shouldn't be being an organisation just to push your own individual name. But if you really cared about the welfare of these young players, then you would not be putting a young player through that. Because I spoke to the player after and he wasn't happy. You know, he spoke half an hour and they used one minute where he was just talking about the racism. So it's, it's not my job to um, educate someone who's from a similar background and, you know, who's, who's been around Asian football. So... You know, again, we know what media want. They just want stories. No one wants to put out positive stories. If I've got a really positive story tomorrow, nobody wants to publish that. But if I came out and said, yeah, well, you know, I got called a packy and this happened, then they want to put it out there. So, you know, I think the best thing for any young player is come under the radar. Don't get sucked in by Sky Sports and other media channels, wherever it is. If you're doing something, if it can be positive, then do it. If not, Say thank you, but not for me. And that's not easy to say sometimes when you know Sky Sports or BBC or whatever it is come come knocking on your door, asking to speak to you. Did you have a follow up, Z? Um, just listening to that, I think is that then what you then adv- it, you can't tell players what to do, you can't tell the parents what to do, and you can't control what the media is going to say and not say, but. Do you offer those kind of guidelines then to, to the no, players? Do, yes, do now. 
and not not just to the Asian players, but I'm talking about as as PFA as a, as a union for players, you offer the guidelines and how to deal with with the media. I think a lot of clubs do. I think um, you know, Carol t- touched on it as well that a lot of clubs do a lot of media training for the players. But we actually, in fact, recently I put together a little document for players to use around um, you know navigating some of the questions that they may be asked around certain topics, and if they're not comfortable how to sort of answer the question around it as well. So I'm on, I can only do and work with those at my disposal. You know, again, I'm, I don't work in clubs. I don't, so I don't work full clubs. I don't tell them you know, how they do their media training. But if we've got young South sort of Asian players, Pakistani, Bangladesh, India, wherever it is, um, and they're coming through the system, you know, the first two, the first thing they say, people are going to listen because they're Asian. They're going to see them. They want to see them on the screen. But the message that they come out, what they say is going to be important, and that needs to be controlled. And so I just feel, like I said, I don't want to see players keep talking about racism and um, you know Asians in football because it's been happening for years. Zesh, Danny, Neil—they've all done it for years and years, and we're still regurgitating the same same stuff. So, like I said, for the terms of solution, it has to be more positive. We've got. I'm trying to reach the players from a young age, so now once they come into the system, now. Because all the clubs will know about the program, I'll be in club. I'm hoping that education, that awareness, and the whole topic can be targeted much sooner rather than rather than later. Do you know with the with the Ames project with the uh, and you connect the academy players with the the pro players, right? What are you noticing in terms of the the, the interactions and the questions that the young players are asking to the pros and? That, is that different to how you were when you were younger? Did you have that same kind of confidence that these young kids are showing when they're kind of being inquisitive and asking questions? Yeah, a lot, a lot of the questions actually around some of the setbacks because every player that's come through had a setback. In one way or another, it's been released, injuries, you know, um, being released again. So a lot of the questions young players will ask around, you know, how, how do they deal with that setback? What was it like being released from a club and then not having a club for for six months. I personally want the question to be around, oh, I'll show you the best player you played against or, but the questions are very, very different. Um, if I was that age, 10, 11, 12, I'd be too shy to even ask questions, especially on a, on a Zoom call. But these young kids, they're educated. Their parents are educated. Their parents love sport, not just football, but parents love sport. Their parents had have some sort of um, experience of playing the sport. They know how they know about player development, they know about child development. And I think that's very important. And the ones who are coming through and the ones who have come through, I'm sort of seeing why why that is now. And then using those sort of messaging to, to pass on to kids now, you know, who are seven, eight, whose parents contact me and say, look, what do I need to do? So even the ones who are pre-academy, I'll start connecting them to the ones in the academy system. Is there a mechanism within the AIM system then for for feedback in terms of what sort of conversations are happening? With between myself and the and the parents. Well, you've you've just said, or Z's just asked what sort of questions oh, are right, being yeah, asked, yeah, etc. Yeah. Um I'm just I'm just wondering how is is there a mechanism within within that process, within that project? Where you, I guess, the mentors or the mentees can document the conversations they've had, just to see if if there is 
Lightsey was asking any patterns that you can see that you might be able to then proactively go to clubs and say, look, if you introduce this, that would allay a lot of fears in young players' minds, etc. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I do see uh, a common pattern. Like I rec- all the sessions that we've done are recorded um, and they're used for just, and I'll, I'll cut them up and I'll send it out to the parents and the kids and just uh, this case they've missed the session they will literally get a copy of some of the best bits from those sessions some of the key messaging that we feel they could they could take away to implement in their training programs or individualized uh individualized plans um you know because it is quite because we sort of launched it recently the conversation with clubs I'm having now in terms of why it's set up and why we're doing it um you know I, I would actually think about some of the conversation we've had on the calls and you know where they can support players or the parents and like you guys know like for any young player to come through it's, it's difficult you need the right you definitely need the right people around you with the aims initiative who instigated that was that someone within the pfa was that you where did that come from and secondly we we know for instance the fa has their asian inclusion plan is there anything similar any conversations like that happening at the PFA? Well, because I was sort of there and we had this... Um, and the PFA always been supportive of my work. So once I you know, went to the PFA, because they've been supporting this work for about 20 years around Asian players and some of them... Historically, obviously, reached out to Zesh, Adnan Ahmed, uh, Anwar, um, Nev back in the day. And then because I was sort of there in the mix of it, I mean, all them conversations we were having last year around uh, Black Lives Matters. Um, I think, you know, as, as someone working in the union, I just wanted to see more done in terms of Asian players as well. And Gordon, Simone Pound, they were very supportive and then told me, asked me what needs to be done, what I wanted to do. And pretty much what I'm doing now is what they've, they've given me the range to go out there and do that. You know, I do inform, kick it out, the FA Premier League about what I'm doing. And like I said, moving forward, there will be a more collective approach uh, to this work. So it's all connected, everyone working in isolation, because we really need everyone to come together. Um, the FA do some great work. Obviously, you guys know about the Asian inclusion. And I've been on to their, been, been to a number of their consultations over the last couple of years. But I don't think you can just keep talking and talking and talking. You've got to start doing something. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, we're trying to do something on a small scale and hopefully just upscale it um, slowly but surely. Okay. And a couple of last questions from me at the moment. So you talked about you don't want to just see talk, you want to see action as well. Is there anything, can you, is there any, are there any quick wins that you could see that you think someone or some, one of the organisations that are involved in football, one of the stakeholders could or should do that, Will would perhaps boost the number of Asians involved in primarily in the professional game. Obviously, there are some lots of them in the grassroots game, and that needs, but that still needs to increase, etc. Yeah, I don't think there are any quick wins. I think what you do have is in the communities you've got, you know, long established Asian clubs to be going for years, whether they're in Leicester, East London. You know, I think a lot more work needs to be done. With, with them you know like less than Nirvana some of the big 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 uh, clubs I'm talking about going for years 
they have hundreds of kids in their systems within their within their setup. So they're the kind of clubs that I think maybe the FA County FAs could be reaching out to development centres. Um, and I think again, people have been afraid to really invest money in it. So the FA, whoever whoever it is, needs to invest money in programs. Like I said, employ five six people like myself doing doing the role I do, but at a grassroots level. Who connects the grassroots players to development centres? There's no one full time doing that for the FA. So until the FA start, I think you know whoever it is, the FA, the club, whoever it is, they need you need full time staff to get things done. Without it, nothing gets done. It just becomes one fifth or one sixth of someone's work rather than eighty percent of what they do. What do you guys think? I don't think there is a silver bullet. Is 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 my opinion. I just thought I'd. I'd ask in case we're missing something because we don't know all, we don't know anywhere near enough yet. I'm going to agree with Riz. Um, you need to have the investment. That's both time and money. Um, if you've got an individual who's split across four, five, six different objectives, you could just imagine if you are working for an organisation, just any organisation, you're split across so many different topic areas. How much time are you going to be able to dedicate to each one? How much commitment is there going to be? And ultimately, um, are people going to see you as a jack of all and not mastering any of them? Um, I think there has this 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 conversation has been happening for a long time. Um, the actions haven't been measurable, I don't think, because you don't know who started any type of initiative, whether that's continued or whether um, it's brought any tangibles. Um, at least with the Ains project, we. We have the privilege of knowing that it, that Riz is a great driver behind it, but now PFA have gone public with it. That's something you can measure, and that's tangibles in years to come, right? Um, that's and that's only come about because Riz has a well. Uh, it's not a t- you say it's two three years of doing this piloting before you gone public, but when you're talking about being a player in the system itself, being inspired to play coming through, that's almost a lifetime right? That's a lifetime commitment you've made. And this is just another level that you've achieved in, able, in, in terms of taking your experience and bringing it together that can help the next generation come through. And ultimately, isn't that the role that we all want to play? That wherever we've learned in life, we want to pass on to the next generation. So I 100% agree, there's need, there needs to be an investment uh, time and money within these organisations if they want to be serious about it. You can't just have an initiative and not knowing who's driving it, what their aims are and whether those aims have been achieved. And if not, what are they going to do to then change uh, and adapt them? Uh, every time the conversation happens, that there's going to be something happening, you don't hear about it because one, there isn't that kind of accountability uh, within the organisation, I don't think. And secondly, no one's holding them to account either. And that's usually the role of the media. So the media doesn't really play that role in terms of being accountable for any initiatives. And this is just primarily to South, anything that's affecting the South Asian community. So, yeah, um, longer, longer answer short. I would say, yeah, I agree. There needs to be individuals who are primarily dedicated to these roles, not just at the FA, but other organisations as well. And those are the ones who need to come together and they will then feed back to the wider goal of any of these organisations. Oh, fair enough. Um, 
I don't know if you want to respond, Riz, and if not, I'll just ask Z and Kevin if they've got any last questions. Yeah, I was going to say I agree with what Z said. Um, otherwise, we're going to just keep having these pockets of conversations every two, three months. One thing will come out. So I think it does need that collective approach, you know, from the clubs, governing bodies, grassroots clubs. And I've also, I think, what Kevel said as well, what do you really want to see? I think clubs just want to see... They, they, the PFA, we can only support the players who can get a professional contract. The ones in the system, the ones at the grassroots is where I feel the support is really... Them kids there and their parents need to be inspired. They need to see that there are now players coming through the, the network there for their kids if and when they come into the academy system. And like I said, if we can support one or two more to get a contract, then that's that's successful for us. And you know, Z has all the all the stats in terms of the players over the last 20 years. And I think since Yan in 2018, no Asian players made his, made a debut, a league debut since 2018, I think, if I'm correct. Um, so we just need those kids to come. For the ones in the system now, the scholars, we need them to get professional contracts and start making those league debuts. And they're, they're the young players that we're, who we're working with now trying to, and trying to support. Gunzi, you got a question? Oh, not not a question, more of an observation. Um, this past year, so we've, we've almost come to it's it's a year now since we've been in lockdown, since the first lockdown. Uh, a couple of weeks short of it, but yeah, a couple of weeks short. But we're in the we're in that right favorite time, right? In the last year, I've seen a lot of energy within our own communities with regards to wanting to talk about and tackle the issue right or the perception of the issues right what i've seen is because we've all had not been able to go out been locked down we've had a lot of time to think and talk and see right My, I, I, what, what i like seeing is that when when um when the ains project was released the, the press release was put out there to the, to the public there was a great energy from everyone i think it was people within grassroots organizations uh, even Asians who aren't involved in football, they were very, very like pleased to see something like that happening. And it was a good momentum, it was good energy. Now, the trick is keeping that energy going. Um, we've tried to do that with this podcast. You release every week, and you had that kind of energy. You're, it's not talk, it's not keeping talking about the issues or the negative or the positive. It's basically keeping um, the Asian visibility constant in any form of media whether that social or or traditional media right i feel that there's going the real the real shift change is going to be come when we're all allowed back out again come june when the restrictions are supposed to be um released are we going to see this same kind of energy because right now we all got time to talk and talk about it and there's multiple podcasts there's multiple organization talking about it if you you, even with sky sports with their um um with their page on 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 the website their tension is constant now it's not the one-off article that comes out i I think there's good energy there i'm looking at how did that get harnessed um i don't know if i'm just i'm just throwing it out there right now because i i think this podcast will continue until uh, as as far as we can take it into our old age, hopefully, um, and hopefully the the stories and 
and the, the 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 people we talk to will change and there'll be more that we sort speak to so we can put more Asians who are in the game in the in the public knowledge. Um but do you guys feel that because we've had so much time to think and reflect, there's been this great energy. When everything returns back to normal, do you think the energy will drop and do you think that might be detrimental? Yeah, from from like my angle, from my work, it's not gonna drop, it's actually gonna get bigger because I can't wait to get into clubs and actually meet all the players and the parents and you know talk more face to face with players and clubs about the work that we're doing while we're setting it up so from the PFA's perspective I think <laughs> there's going to be even more energy to you know, to get out to as many clubs as possible over the next you know a year or so because it takes time to get around to all the clubs and ultimately we need more staff you know the PFA doing this work not just me we need more more people you know really pushing this sort of agenda and see more players come through. I can't talk for everyone else. I'm not like you said, you know, you, you still need the communication. You still need that conversation and platforms like this, like you said, do that. And I see Desi Baller is doing a great job there and you know, putting the messaging out about the players and giving people updates. I, I don't follow all of it. Obviously on your platform, I can I can do that. I know the players appreciate that. But that's a, that's a plus as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if um, the momentum remains. I think, look, even if the momentum doesn't and people get back to being busy with their day-to-day lives, etc., I think, look, everyone's knowledge, everyone's mindset has changed slightly. Their eyes have been opened by by all the issues that came out of the George Floyd, Floyd murder and... Black Lives Matter, etc. I think everyone's aware now there are deeper issues in society and will recognise issues more. Are they more willing to speak out on them? Some people are, some people won't be. I think it's still going to come down to individual circumstances. But yeah, if you're right, Z, all we can do is to do our little bit to keep the momentum going. Any last questions for Riz? Now it's it's good, it's good to have those conversations. And in fact, honestly, just doing this just reminds me why I'm doing what I'm doing, and I feel like I'm going to be even more motivated to really get out there and just keep doing the work because that's why I like having these conversations. Keeps me motivated for sure. Anyway, I think it's been a great, refreshing conversation uh, to have access to your thought process, Riz, um, and where that comes from, because obviously. Like I said, it's not just something that's come because of your role or your job. It's something that's, I guess, deep rooted in your upbringing, um, which is, which is, you know, um, which is great. And uh, thank you for so much for giving that insight as well in terms of how things were for you and, and Zesh when you're coming through and uh, how you continue to have that kind of same mindset uh, in the various roles that you play in. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, no, no problem, mate. It's been good. It's good to um, come on and talk to Apu Kavar and yourself. Fantastic. Riz, just, I know for the next, well, I don't know how long, a year, two years, you're going to be playing a little bit of catch up and you've got all the clubs to get around, etc. Any plans for the future as yet? Are there any other big projects that you're looking at undertaking? Well, I think the first thing for me, and I made everyone about the pair phase, I want to try and get all the boys and the players together. That's going to be, it's a quite powerful image to try and get everyone sort of together and getting that photo so people can actually see it at the grassroots like look 
football is inclusive, football is welcoming. These are the players at different clubs. You know, these are the ones coming through the system. And then they start doing some sessions with the players. So, yeah, for me, right now, it's that's that's the first thing. So as soon as he's dead, two of these uh, lockdown restrictions are lifted and, like I said, getting out there and getting uh, getting the players together, just connecting with them. Because a lot of them, I've not had a chance to meet them face-to-face. So once I can do that, it just makes that sort of connection even easier as well. But yeah, anything else, I'll, I'll keep you posted anyway, things that we are doing.